Great fellowship. Again, it is so good to see each and every one of you. I want to remind everybody as we go through this month of our prayer and fasting guide, they are up here on stage. So if you did not get one, you need one too, uh, just grab whatever you need. We've got plenty. But uh, it is truly wonderful to come together. Here we are for the first Sunday in the new year. And uh, it's going to be a good one. Could you believe the weather yesterday? Hey, 48 degrees and the sun is shining. We've missed the big snows. Hey, global warming. Hallelujah. <laughs> Just you have to embrace what's good. So, But we do extend a welcome to everyone that's here. You are where God wants you to be at this time. And we give him praise for leading you in to his assembly to worship him with us. January is a unique month in many ways as we are focusing on a call to fast and prayer by the eldership of this church. And that may sound like, oh, that's sort of boring. But you know what? It's been some wonderful things taking place in the lives of people that are beginning to embrace this call to prayer and fast. Uh, It was interesting. You know, today is Sunday, and in the prayer and fasting guide, we get to celebrate. And that means feasting on whatever you want, even what you might have given up. Some people have started giving up early. But tomorrow's the technical day that you really begin with your meal. What will it be? A partial fast, a Daniel fast as described, or just these fastings that we give up certain things for a certain time. Uh, One individual came up and said, Patrick, I know how much you love ketchup, and uh, that's the way I feel about potatoes. He said, my life would be somewhat empty in the physical realm if I couldn't eat potatoes. So I'm giving up potatoes. And he started January 1. And uh, he got to work Monday morning and opened up the meal that his wife had prepared for him. And it was a big bowl of potato soup. And it's like, I can't eat that. So it's just interesting. Some people are giving up desserts. Other people are giving up just different things. But today we're going to talk a little bit in more detail of really the importance of what the Bible has to say about wrong fasting and true fasting. And it is a powerful text. Hopefully you've been spending your sunrise mornings, your quiet time, in Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26, and your sunset text, Psalm 32. The whole idea behind the eldership's call for a time of prayer and fasting is so that we can ask, A simple question. Lord, what do you want to show me? 
in regards to my life being used by you in its unique way to bring others into the presence of Jesus, what do you want me to know about me? Lord, I need you to show me the way for me. Because we know That our Lord sent His Son to seek and save the lost. That was His priority on earth. That's why the text of Luke chapter 5 shows us Jesus saying to the paralytic that was healed, Son, your sins are forgiven. The very thing that Tim referenced. Your sins are forgiven, although I know you're here to be healed. When people get into the presence of Jesus Christ, remarkable things can happen. And I hope your heart wants to see remarkable things happen in your life, in the lives of others, as you stand back, surrendered to the God that you are loving and devoting your life to, to watch Him work. While prayer and fasting is giving something up, it is also embracing other things as we're going to see in the text. But I want to go back real quick and just make a point about Luke chapter 5, where Jesus says to his uh, counterparts, the Pharisees, who are critical of his life and his disciples' lives, not praying and fasting. Jesus says, I am, in essence, the bridegroom. I'm here for a short time. When I am gone, then, in those days, my disciples will fast. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And in the great fasts that we'll look at through this series, from Elijah to Moses and even Jesus, that I will refer to during their times of fasting, revelation came from God to the individuals. In Jesus' life, he responded again and again against Satan, who was attacking him with the word of God. And so some people wonder, is fasting and prayer something that Christians do today? And it seems to me, biblically, the answer is a resounding yes. After Jesus ascended into heaven, we have the Apostle Paul, who was once called Saul, who was persecuting the church, but God struck him down on the road to Damascus, blinded him, and took him through a process with Ananias where God healed him and opened his eyes by God's grace, changed his life and direction, and the one that persecuted Jesus, Saul, now began to uplift and proclaim Jesus And he is called Paul, as his name represents this change. But I want you to see here, after the cross of Christ, after the resurrection of Jesus, they preached the gospel in that city and other cities, and they won large numbers of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. 
strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And they said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas, spiritual leaders, one a great apostle, appointed elders for them in each church. And what? Read it with me. And with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. As Paul and Barnabas were appointing, ordaining elders, they prayed and fasted for the work that was to come, the work that was ahead, asking and seeking God whom they had put their trust in this whole process. So fasting is definitely for today. We're going to look at what fasting is and what fasting is not. One more word before we get into Isaiah 58, which is such a powerful text that we see in the Old Testament. Are you going to be a part of the season of January 2019 to pray and fast in some way? And ask God to show you some things about yourself. Some spiritual things about yourself. Because Psalm 32, that sunset text, each evening takes us to that place where we have to do a deep introspection of who we are, our lives, and how they line up in relationship to what God is calling us to be. For too many people in our churches, there are is this external religion. There is this sense of what Jesus would call whitewashed tombs. There is a look and there is an action or gestures that people show, but there is nothing different on the inside. The heart is still hard. The heart may be lukewarm. And that is not what God wants from any one of his believers. You see, we know that in our lives we sin as Christians. But we know the scriptures teach that even when a Christian sins, the blood of Christ is there cleansing constantly. The blood of Christ cleanses you in your sin even when you don't recognize that you are sinning. It still cleanses because we are saved by the grace of God. But it's because of that grace of God in our lives that although we know that when we sin, God has dealt with it through the blood of Jesus on the cross in our lives, we don't take that for granted as any kind of cheap grace. We don't take that in a sense that we don't have to worry in any way about our lives, that we just don't care because we're devoted to the God who is our lives. And if something that we do hurts God, then it hurts us. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And so, 
The first thing that we're going to say is, here is Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, speaking to God's chosen people, the apple of his eye, and he's talking to them about their sin. And it seems like because of the wording and much of the text that we read through all of Isaiah, the hearts of God's people had grown cold, grown hard, grown indifferent, and they had become religious externally, religious legalistic. I go through some actions, I behave a certain way, and I do certain things, but it's all external, and it's not the heart that we hear Jesus saying that he's come for us to have. When he is talking to the woman at the well, he says there's a time that will come and is coming that my people, God's children, will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not with the spirit in the sense that, oh, I'm happy And not in the truth like the letter of the law, but in the spirit, in the sense that your spirit or my spirit, the Christian spirit that's God-given and the Holy Spirit will connect to the Heavenly Father. And in that, the truth is who He is and what He has done. Not that I know all the truth, I'm doing all the truth, but just truth in who the Son of Man is. He is Jesus Christ. And we get complacent about our sin. And so I don't want to confuse anybody because I've thought about this all on how to say it and it does take some maturity. So the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin constantly, even when we're not repenting of the things that we know is wrong. And sometimes, even while we're doing the things that are wrong that we're not going to repent of for a time, the blood of Christ is that powerful. That's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, when your sin increases, the grace of God increases all the more. It's just almost unbelievable that God's grace is that grand in our lives. However, with all that said and that being the bottom line truth, we need to attack our sin. Do you hear me? We, you, need to attack your sin in your life. And if you're not sensitive, and contrite, you'll never even deal with it. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now please, because you never know in today's world, do not go cut your hand off or gouge out your eye. But his point is, take sin seriously, examine your life, and wherever you find sin, 
attack that sin through the power of the Holy Spirit and remove it from your life with God's help and blessing. So Isaiah is told by God, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Listen to the... Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. God speaking through Isaiah is saying, make it known, shout it from the rooftops, get people's attention. There is sin in my people and they are not recognizing it because they've grown cold, insensitive, and I want them to wake up. If we go through 31 days of preparing for a fast, giving up certain things, focusing on the word of the Lord, and come out of that without having heard from God in some small way, having grown closer to Him, and the fast did not mean a lot for us as an individual. I mean, you look at this, Isaiah 58. I think Jesus knew this text so well, which we're going to look at at the end. I can't prove it, but I think He knew this text, this whole chapter. Shout it out, don't hold back, raise your voice, make it as loud as a trumpet. There's a declaration that I want to be made known. People are in sin and they're my people. And so we come to Isaiah verse 2. For day after day they seek me out. Now listen to that. Day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. You know, James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. How does that happen? Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. You're double-minded back and forth. There's so much hypocrisy in people, even God's people. But we see this sense of Look at the externals. They're seeking me out. They seem eager to know my ways. They, they seem to be acting like a nation that knows what is right and not forsaking my commands. And they, they want me to give them just decisions in their lives. They want me to come near. It sounds good. But we see this is all external because in verse 3, they start to say as a people, why have we fasted? And you have not seen God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers? It's like you you fast on a Sunday, that one day, and then on Monday you exploit you hurt. You treat people wrong. You come before me on Sunday and then on Monday you live your life in relationship to others like you don't even know me. 
And so when we ask ourselves, why are we fasting? We want the answer to be, so that I can reveal to God my devotion. So that I can intensify through fasting my prayer life. And yes, why people may be calling out for different things at different times in their life and for revelation from God about some things, we are definitely focused here on show me the way, Lord, to be used by you to bring people into the presence of Jesus. That's what we're looking for. How do I do that in this world that we live in? It's pretty hard. It can be pretty intimidating. People are hostile to God. Christians are under attack everywhere. How do I do it? What is the right setting? I I just don't want to be a Bible thumper. How do I get involved in someone's life to bring them before the Lord so that His presence, as they come to Him, has the opportunity to change them? But verse 3, the point is, they're going through all the externals, but God hits them hard through prophet Isaiah. You do as you please. The scriptures teach us to find out what pleases the Lord and do those things that please the Lord. And so verse 4. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. So if the essence of prayer and fasting as God's children filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing that God hears us, but at the same time with the realization that God does discipline the sons and daughters that He loves and that there are times where He might leave us even in confusion and hurt and pain to get our attention, it stands to reason that we have to understand that The purpose of fasting ultimately is to be transformed into what God wants us to be, bearing the fruits of the Spirit like Jesus did in His life. So it's more about being transformed than giving anything up. That's what I love about this text. It's more about you being transformed and changed by the power of God in the things that come into your life that He has for you that you embrace that's not been a part of your life. And God reveals those things as people are praying and fasting. Revelation comes. I love Charles Spurgeon's quote, about this part of the passage. The heart, he says. The heart is everything. You see, it starts a transition from the external religious legalistic process where most people are because there's no depth or no rebirth in their life. And we see that your heart, your love, your devotion, your loyalty, your hunger and your need for God is what is everything. So, here is the false fasting. Is this the kind of fast, God says, that I have chosen? 
only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? There's the externals. Is that what you call a fast, a day that's acceptable to the Lord? Because that's exactly what you are doing, people, and it's not. We can come to church every Sunday, Wednesday night, Sunday night, Thursday, whatever. You can come to church all you want. And you can even fast. And you can give up all kinds of things and afflict your soul. But if your heart's not right, in your seeking God, it means absolutely nothing. And the only reward that you get in that process is what others might say about you that would be positive. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you know, they fast and they go so much without food that their faces become hollow. They even disfigure themselves a little bit. They've got their reward. But that's not what he wants from us. Jesus says, when you fast, you clean up and you wash your hair and you put your best clothes on, put a smile on your face, and no one needs to know you're doing it. And then what's done in secret will be rewarded. There's a reward in approaching God with the right heart and the right attitude. So this is false fasting. And we want to make sure that here at Kentwood that we don't do that. Here's true fasting. Is this, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Notice the transition. Now it is, here's the kind of fasting God wants in our lives when we do it. But this is the kind of life that God wants us to have all the time to not abuse people. To not hurt people. To not speak ill of people. To not make fun of people. To not put people down. To not say hateful things to people. I know I'm flesh and blood too. Some people do things or you're caught up in a moment in traffic. And they about run you off the road and they think they're the innocent ones. And you just... Give them the signal. Or roll down the window and start yelling. There's never, ever, ever a time to do that that's blessed by God. God is showing you, us, something about ourselves. Because the heart of the person that is bowed before the Lord wants to help loose the chains of the injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, and to set those who are oppressed free and to break every yoke. And for us to get them before Jesus so that Jesus can say, Son, 
daughter, your sins are forgiven. And new life comes in to them. Is that what your fast is going to look at? Is it going to check you through the Holy Spirit to where you say, you know, in my heart, I think hateful things about people. I say hateful things to people. Now, it's nothing new, and it shouldn't surprise us that people are sinners. But can you believe that they did that? Can you believe that they said that? Can you believe that they acted that way? Yeah, I can. I used to act that way all the time. I just do it a little bit less now because God's got the leash on me. He's holding me back through his scripture and his Holy Spirit to say, you know, Patrick, that's just not right. Are you living your life this way? Because that is the kind of fasting. You see here, it's definitely not just giving up something. It's embracing something. And that's what we want in our lives. He continues on. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. In other words, you're meeting the needs of people. That's the kind of fasting that God chooses for all of us. And that's the kind of fast that can be a part of our lives every day. True fasting, false fasting, dealing with our sin. And then the promise comes in verse 8. Refreshing and renewal of one's soul. You know, the book of Acts tells us in chapter 3 that whenever a person repents and turns to God, and yes, it is in the context of that passage of someone that doesn't know God's not born again, but whenever someone in that situation turns to God in obedience and belief, times of refreshing come to their spirit. And I think it's probably really important to ask ourselves the question individually. Am I renewed? Do I feel refreshed? And there may be times that we don't for many different reasons But most of the time, you should be renewed and refreshed. Renewed and refreshed. And if you're not, I believe, textually, God is trying to get your attention through his heavy hand and his prophet Isaiah shout and yell, look at your life. You're playing a game. You're doing this and expecting to get that. It's not the way it works. I'm not a God that you just can pull out of your pocket and whenever you need something, you say something and then you get it. I'm your God that's unchanging, that's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And I want my people to be humbled And come before me. Remember in our text in Psalm 32. When I kept silent. 
The Lord's hand was heavy on me. And like summer heat, it just sapped my body. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will come quickly. Then your righteousness, God, will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Do you see? Here's what refreshing and renewal of the soul looks like for someone who's not been sincerely contrite before their God, but's played the game of external religion versus being born again in the Spirit. It is to know that your God is there and present, that He is your rear guard, and that He goes before you. And look at this next text. Then you will call on the Lord, and He will answer your cry for help. He will say, here I am. Now, the fact I think that's being said here is, you know, there's people that in certain emergencies, God help me. And I'm not God, and God is God, and I'm not speaking in place of God, but I do think there is biblical evidence that if you are just calling on God here and there throughout your life, you don't love Him, you're not loyal to Him, you're not living for Him, you're not born again, Lord, help me, I've got this crisis. God hears it, but he doesn't seem to respond to it because he's not responding to it with his own people. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry as you cry for help. He will say, here I am. Now, for the one that is humble before the Lord, and hopefully that's all of us, but if it's not, start humbling yourself before the Lord. I feel... Like, Lord, I, I mean, I'm calling for God to help me all the time. I don't know if I'm, am I the only one? God, help. Help, Lord. And it's not any kind of major catastrophe. It's like, help me to be this. Help me to be that. Help me desire to do this. Help me, Lord. Now, they have, don't. For, there's times like, oh, Lord, there's a health crisis. Help, Lord. When you are His, humbled before Him, when you cry, He says, here I am. As often as you cry out, here I am. He's always there. God, save me. Here I am. God, help me. Here I am. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? I'm here. We have that. We have that if we humble ourselves before the Lord. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of the finger and malicious talk. You know, uh, the, the pointing of the finger was like a derogatory thing. It was a demeaning thing to people like, John, I'm going to get you. You know, that kind of thing. Like I said, when we get in those traffic jams and we point the finger, there it is. One of these days, maybe the Sunday before I retire, I can tell you a story in my younger years of ministry that just 
the most embarrassing thing I've ever done. But until that day, you don't get to know. <laughs> but I imagine you've got them too. And if you spend yourselves, look at the language. Back in verse 5, you're, you're spending yourself in this fast by giving something up for yourself. But if you spend yourself, a play on words, in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. And your night will become like the noonday. The sun's going to shine on you, and I mean the sun of God. But if any of us thinks that we're just going to do what we want, the way we want, and it doesn't matter what we do, then we're all fooling ourselves. And this is what this text shows. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. It doesn't matter where you are. God will meet your needs and will strengthen your frame. I don't want to get too far out there, but sometimes I wonder with colds and allergies and all these different things of emotion and mind. It's like, is it just that in some cases people are so far away from God? You know, Paul talks about the fact that people who abuse the Lord's Supper are dying and not being healed, and those are God's people. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Not only does he send the rain for you in your life, but there's this spring that he puts in. It's bubbling over, and we know that is the Holy Spirit. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, and this is definitely very specific for the people of Israel, and will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings, in other words, God's going to bring about the change that those things that are broken, whether it's the temple being toppled or the walls being knocked over, you will be a part of being used by God to rebuild. But what does that mean for us? What does it mean for Kentwood Christian Church? What does it mean for any church? It means that God will use you and fix what is broken in your life, or your church. It means refreshing and renewal. And if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, there it is again and again, and not doing as you please, there it is again, or speaking idle words, verse 14, we conclude, then you will find your joy in the Lord. Do you have joy in the Lord? Because if you have joy in the Lord, it's a reflection of your relationship with Him. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to the feast and on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's final. There's false fasting and there's true fasting. 
And there is looking through that process for God's revelation in your life to transform you into the image of the one and only Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. I said earlier that I believe that Jesus really knew this text. Listen to this. I'll go through it quickly. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35. As you think about the text we just read, Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. Sound like that text in any way? Helping the oppressed, lifting up the yoke? Listen to this one. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen? Amen. So that's what our fasting is to be. That's what we desire it to be. But that is up to each and every one of us individually as what we will make it. We must come before this time of fasting that will start tomorrow with a heart of sincerity and a heart that cries out to God for forgiveness, a heart that confesses our sin, a heart that turns away from our sin and gives praise to the one who washes that sin away at all times in our lives. May the God of heaven, the only God of this earth and in this world, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, may he put his hand of blessing on you and on this church family here in Little Kentwood Christian Church and show us the way to bring people into the presence of Jesus Christ so that we can stand back in humility and say, see what remarkable things God has done. May God always be praised by His people. Amen?